John chapter 1, we've come as far as verse 35. It says, again, the next day after John stood, John the Baptist, and two of his disciples, and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he, John the Baptist, saith, behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and saw them following, and saith unto them, What seek ye? And they said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say, being interpreted, Master, where dwellest thou? And he saith unto them, Come and see. And they came and saw where he dwelt, and abode with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. And one of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first findeth his own brother, Simon, and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. And he brought to him, he brought him to Jesus, and when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is, again, by interpretation, a stone. This beginning of Jesus gathering his disciples. First, there's two. We're going to watch Andrew and John, and then Andrew goes and gets his brother Peter. Peter, uh, John goes and gets his brother James. There's four by the end of this day. There's Philip and Nathaniel added. He's beginning to collect his disciples, and, and it's remarkable the way that this rolls. You know, it, it seems that John, the brother of James. And Andrew, the brother of Peter, had left their fishing. They were both involved in the fishing business on the Sea of Galilee. In fact, they worked together, it seems. That these two had heard about this preacher down in the wilderness of Judea, that the whole area was in an uproar of maybe thinking, is this Elijah, is this Messiah? Same thing the religious leaders asked. And in their hearts, there was enough to make them come. Now we assume that James and Peter also came because it seems that they easily find them down in the wilderness of Judea. But we know James and John, they're the sons of thunder. They want to call down fire on Samaria. So when they hear there's a fiery preacher, they, they, they're tuned in. They want to go. And Andrew goes with them, and Peter's there because he's, you know, an ear chopper. You know, he's there when he hears something, he's telling the truth. And so the, these men leave the area of Galilee and travel to wherever this present situation was. It seems the wilderness of Judea to listen to this prophet, John the Baptist, the last of the Old Testament prophets, the greatest born among women. And they watched as the religious leaders came, because John writes about it. Are you, you know, the Messiah? No. Are you Elijah? No. Are you that prophet? No. I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. That's all that I am. 
And then the next day he's there and it says, and he says to them, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. This is the one of whom I spoke. You know, he must increase, I must decrease. He goes through this, he, he's greater than me, he came after me, but he was before me. He takes him through all of this. And then he says to them, truly, this is the Son of God, because he heard at the baptism, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Now, it says, the next day again. So the next day comes, it tells us in verse 35, and it says, again the next day, John the Baptist stood and two of his disciples, John and Andrew, and looking upon Jesus... As he walked, John the Baptist, he saith, he began to say, Behold the Lamb of God. So John, this old man, the apostles are gone. Andrew's gone. Peter's gone. James is gone. Nathaniel's gone. Philip's gone. He's the last one as he puts the quill to the page. And he's thinking about this day. He, he, he says we were there the next day. He has this sense of those days, how they went by. And he said, and John the Baptist stood, and he uses a perfect tense there. He took a stand and was standing. He, he remembers in his mind, John the Baptist, whatever he was doing, all of a sudden just stepping and taking this stand. And you can tell the picture is still in his mind. He takes a stand, John the Baptist, and he continued to stand there, he says... And he said, he, he watched Jesus as he was walking, looking intently upon Jesus, as he walked and saith there, both present tense, as he was walking, John the Apostle reliving all this, and he began to say, Behold the Lamb of God. Again, behold, that's an imperative. You know, he says, he says, it wasn't suggesting to us. He told us, you need to behold. You need to consider. You need to measure this one. You need to look to him. You have to do this. This is not a suggestion. This is an imperative. This is a must. You must behold, scrutinize the definite article, Lamb of God. God's own peculiar Lamb. Again, not the lamb from God, not the lamb that represents God, though he was that. This is God's own lamb. And for this priest, this prophet, what that must have meant, he says, behold, God's own lamb. And he's looking. And whatever that look was, it now sends John and Andrew after Jesus. Whatever that look was endorsed this Lamb of God to the point where these two disciples, and it seems from the language it's only the two of them there, and he speaks to these two personally because Andrew has to go get Peter and John has to go get James. He says the to the two disciples as he is gazing upon Jesus as he's walking. The day before he was walking towards Jesus. Now it seems he's walking by, and he says... Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. So no doubt in that speech of John the Baptist, he's sending them. You knew, this is the one you need to consider. This is the one you need to behold. This is the one. He is God's own Lamb. And it says, then those two followed him. 
And by the way, they never turn back. We don't know if they see John the Baptist again. We don't know if John the Baptist sees Jesus again. But on this day, these two now, men, just like us, normal men, normal women, normal human beings, their own struggles, their own humanity, John the Baptist so impressed them. And to see Jesus walking by, they leave John the Baptist and they begin to follow Jesus. There's no sense that John the Baptist is envious. You know, he's not saying, hey, where do you think you guys are going? You know, he's delighted because he had come to bear witness to this is the goal of every preacher, every teacher, every home fellowship leader, every parent, every grandparent should be saying to those around them, behold the Lamb of God. And it should be said in such a way, then, the goal is that then those who hear follow Jesus. That's the test of every preacher. Not preachers with sneakers, not look as cool as I can, not have smoke machines, not blow everybody's mind. There's truth. And truth is merciless. It's unyielding. It cuts across everything going on in our culture. Everything you know that seems to be ganging up on what's right. Everything that seems to be falling apart. Everything that goes on around us. Truth just splits that like the Red Sea. When truth comes under the power of the Holy Spirit, and it was in this situation because John was filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb, he says, behold the Lamb of God. The way he said it, they begin to follow Jesus. And that's the goal. It's the goal of every parent. That get your kids to follow Jesus. The goal of every parent is get your kids to heaven. Because if the only thing you leave them is something a lawyer needs to settle, you haven't left them anything at all. There's eternity at stake. And John says, behold the Lamb, and then they follow him. They begin following Jesus. Look what it says in verse 38. It says, then, as this is happening, Jesus turned. He saw them following And he says unto them, what seek ye? What are you looking for? Not who, what? What are you after? What seek ye? And they said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say, being interpreted master or teacher, where do you live? Where are you dwelling? Where are you staying? So this amazing scene comes now. Jesus, it says, with these two, Andrew and John following him, it says that Jesus turned. And it indicates suddenly. John still remembers as a 90-year-old man. He remembers that first turning of Jesus and the first look on his face. That would be unforgettable. He turns, it says, And he saw them following. Now, he didn't have to turn. Look over in verse 48. Nathanael says to him, how do you know me? And Jesus said to him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. So he doesn't need to turn to see these two guys. He knew they were following. But he had waited from time and eternity to put on human flesh. 
and walk among us. He had waited for eternity to turn around and to look into the face of Andrew and John. That's why he came. He turns suddenly and he looks, the idea is intently, he looks at them. Are they stunned? John remembers as a 90-year-old man what this experience was like. And then the Lord said to them, What seek ye? What are you looking for? Now, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he's still asking that question. What are you looking for? You quiet your heart before the Holy Spirit as he's conforming us into the image of Jesus Christ, he'll constantly ask us that. What is it you're seeking? What are you looking for? He asks me. I'm reminded as I study this. What do you want? What are you looking for? What is it? You know, we seek the thing we want. We seek the thing that we think is desirable. The whole world does that. Seeking things, we think if we have that, I'll be satisfied. There are people all around us and people here who are seeking things they shouldn't be seeking. There are people in this room and people in this city, people in this world, people standing in the pulpit that are seeking things they shouldn't be seeking. And there are others not seeking what they should be seeking. What are you seeking, he says. When he says that to us today, what are you looking for in life? What's your, what's your deepest longing? What do you want? What are you seeking? For them, you know, what was that? What was the look on his face? He turned suddenly. He asked this question. You know, what are you seeking? Well, they followed him because the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God. They're seeking what Israel has been seeking for 40 centuries. What every patriarch, every judge, every king, every priest, every prophet had been seeking through the entire history of God's people the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. They had followed John. They had listened to him preaching. They knew they needed forgiveness. Uh, these men followed John because they wanted the kingdom. He was preaching that the kingdom of God was at hand, John the Baptist. They had listened all. Now there is the one that takes away the sin of the world. They were aware of their own sin. They follow him. And he turns and he says, what are you seeking? What do you want? We should listen. We should listen this afternoon, tonight, before you go to sleep. Sit somewhere alone and listen. And see if he asks you. What are you seeking? What are you looking for? You think if you have this, you'll be happy? You think if you have that, you'll be happy? You're my son. You're my daughter. I've placed my spirit in your heart. What are you looking for? 
The interesting thing is these guys answer a question with a question. They're Jewish boys. <laughs> what are you seeking? And they say, where do you live? Isn't that interesting? <laughs> now, they say rabbi. And John says, that's being interpreted master, teacher. The idea is we've just left John the Baptist. You're our teacher. We're coming under. What are you seeking? Rabbi. Where do you live? It's going to take longer than five minutes for us to explain this. We're, you know, we need to come and sit with you for some hours. We need to spend time with you. Where do you dwell? Then he says this. Come and see. He's still saying that. An invitation and a promise. Come and you will see. Still says that to a lost world. Says, still says that to you and I as his sons and daughters. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. How many times does he invite us? Crazy stuff going on in our life. We're distracted. And we'll hear him say, come, come. Get away from all that. Sit alone with you. Open your script. Open the Bible. Come and see. Both of those imperatives. You must come. You must see. You're going to see. It has to be that way. Come and see. Lost world around us. If they turn to him, even if their heart doesn't understand completely, they hear him say, what are you looking for? What is it that you're looking for? What the heck are you looking for? We, we need to spend time with you. Just come and see. And they came and saw. So, so look, when he turns around and looks at them, suddenly, he, they're not intimidated. Whatever the look was on his face that John still remembers, it wasn't threatening in any way. It was inviting. Turns around, what are you seeking? They didn't say nothing. You know, they, they, they said, uh, Rabbi, where do you dwell? How can we come? How can we be with you? His, his look was inviting. In his mind, he was thinking, oh, Andrew and John, they're right behind me. Turns around and looks at them. Come and see, he invites them. And they go with him, it says. How remarkable. Where? It didn't tell us. Does he have an apartment down by the Jordan River? There's no information. They just come to where he's dwelling. What was the... Is it a borrowed place? It is, is it a... You know, a booth he's constructed out somewhere in the in the wilderness there. It doesn't tell us. It, it says, come and see. And they came and saw where he dwelt. And look what it says. And they abode with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. So remarkable. John remembers what time it was. I can't remember five years ago what time it was. You know, he's... 60 to 70 years later, he said, yeah, it was 10th hour. Now, there's a debate there, by the way, just to tease yourself. Some say, well, that's Jewish time. And, and the 10th hour is 4 in the afternoon. 
And uh, if it's four in the afternoon, personally, what it insinuates is they went with them and stayed overnight with them. Then the next day they got right at the work. Could be. That'd be a pretty cool thing to do, wouldn't it? But it seems like if it was Jewish time, it would say they spent the evening with them because evening began at three in the afternoon at the time of the evening sacrifice. And it doesn't say they spent the evening with him. It says three times in these verses, it means this by interpretation because John is writing at the end of the first century to Christian believers that are largely Gentiles all over. And it seems like he would have said the 10th hour, by the way, by interpretation, that's four in the afternoon, Jewish time. Now, if this is the 10th hour Roman time, which he seems to ascribe to Pilate and the crucifixion and so forth as we go on, it's 10 o'clock in the morning. And Jesus says, come. Whatever time it was, they came and they sat with him. And what did they ask? We had questions. What was it like to spend that day with him? I don't know exactly. I would love to have the DVD in English, obviously. But we know when we come, when they come out of there, Andrew goes to Peter and said, we found the Messiah. He doesn't say, I think we found the Messiah. He said, we found the Messiah. You can understand the import of that. So they go in. They spend the day with him. They must be saying... What does John the Baptist mean exactly when he says you're God's own lamb? And what does he mean that you take away the sin of the world? We thought you were the Jewish Messiah that we were waiting for to deal with the Jews. They must have said, well, what does this mean? And why does John? And what happened at the baptism that freaked John out anyway? You know, and he, you know, you can imagine the questions. Imagine just he he invited them. He didn't scare them away. He invited them. His, his presence was inviting. And they sat with them. They weren't afraid to ask questions. They asked questions all that day. And sometime in the, later in the afternoon, evidently, it says, one of the two which heard John speak, John the Baptist, and then followed him, Jesus, was Andrew Simon Peter's brother. So this is the first time we meet Andrew. John's the one, really, who introduces us to Andrew. We have his name in the list of the apostles in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but as far as his life, we hear about him from John. John knew him from the fishing business. John may have known him since he was a boy. He says one of them, John never names himself. He was the other one until he gets to the book of Revelation. We finally says, I, John, saw this, but he, he stands away from self-recognition. And he says one of those that followed was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. That's his handle all through life, Simon Peter's brother. People say, What's your, who are you again? I'm Simon Peter's brother. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. You know, just that was his handle. Uh, very interesting guy. We, we have his name eight times in the scripture. We have him here first. Then we have him um, in the list of disciples. We have him in Mark 1 when Jesus told him again to drop their nets. That was after this, about a year later. 
we have him named, and this is interesting because he's the one that always goes. He brings his brother to Jesus. Next time we see him, he brings a little boy with five loaves and two fishes to Jesus. And then each time we see him, he brings the Greeks in John chapter 12 to Jesus. Each time we see Andrew, you can't minimize this guy. He's bringing people to Jesus. That's what he does. We see him on the Olivet Discourse. It says, Peter, James, John, and Andrew. Ask him, what do these things mean? We see him in the book of Acts, chapter 1 there, gathered with the disciples, Andrew. And by insinuation, Revelation 21, his name is written in the, land, in the foundation stones in the, the temple. Interesting guy. Now, Charles Spurgeon said, uh, it takes more grace than I can tell to play the second fiddle well. It takes more grace than I can tell to play the second fiddle well. Nowhere do we find Andrew envious of his brother. He was proud of his brother, not jealous of his brother. You know, growing up with Peter, Peter was probably the kid that knocked the other kids down. Peter was the guy that went out and punched bullies. You know, Peter was the guy that had to win every race, even if he had to cheat. You know, Peter was just, he grew up, that was the kind of brother, you know. And he's thinking, i got to get my brother to him. He's just, you know, and, and, and because of that, Peter then ends up in this remarkable position. Peter goes with Jesus, listen, James and John, to see Jairus' daughter raised from the dead. Peter goes with James and John on the Mount of Transfiguration to see Jesus in his glory. Peter goes with James and John in Gethsemane, closer to the others up, to hear him say, Abba, Father. And nowhere in the process do we get the sense that Andrew's saying, oh, sure, the big three, you know. When I was a disciple before they were, and why does John get to take his brother and Andrew, you know, you don't take me anywhere, you know. There's none of that. He's so content in his position. The most important thing to him is bringing people to Jesus. Maybe something he really took hold of with John the Baptist. But then on the, you know, Peter's going to write epistles. There's no jealousy. On the day of Pentecost, Peter's going to preach. And 3,000 people are going to come to Christ. That's all Andrew wanted. He must have said, that's my, you get him, bro. Go get him, you know. He must have been so proud. It wasn't one person coming. It wasn't, it was 3,000 coming to Jesus. That's all he wanted, this man, Andrew. And that's how we see him through the scripture. So it says that one of the two that followed him that day was Andrew, tells us. Simon Peter's brother, just in case you're wondering. And then in verse 41, it's interesting. It says, He first findeth his own brother. The language seems to indicate John found his as well. He first findeth his own brother, then John, James, and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted, John tells us, the Christ. So he first found his brother. Evidently, John goes and gets James, his brother. And, and you kind of, you know, I look at that and I think James and John, 
There's a, a successful fishing business on the Sea of Galilee. There are other hired hands. We know that. When they get to Jerusalem, John knows the high priest goes into his palace, familiar with his family, successful in business. Zebedee is his father. Salome is his mother. James and John, the two boys, leave the family business to follow John the Baptist. We don't know Zebedee saying, oh yeah, right. You know, no, Zebedee... His wife, Salome, is Mary, the mother of our Lord's Mary's sister. So they've probably known each other, known about Jesus for years. Not only do the two boys go and follow John the Baptist and Jesus, but Salome, Luke tells us, was one of the women that followed Jesus and supported him. So Zebedee's watching all the money go out the window. The boys are gone. His wife's, uh, his wife's, you know, and Salome is one of those that stood at the cross. Salome was involved on resurrection morning. How remarkable. James and John. Then Andrew, he gets his brother Peter. And when he runs into him, wherever he is, he said, we found the Messiah. You have to understand what that means to a Jew. We found the hope of Israel. We found the one that all the prophets spoke of. We, hope, we found the one that drives our nation. We, we found the one that every Jew in their heart holds so dearly to. We found him. We found him. Who is he? He's a carpenter from Nazareth. <laughs> you have to understand. We found him. Jesus said that we found the Messiah. Not we think we found him. We found him. Whatever that talk was like, whatever that day was sitting alone with the Lord, they came out of there different men. We found him. And Jesus didn't do a miracle while they were, but he was able of his own person to turn their hearts, as he is today. We don't need to see miracles to believe that Jesus is the Christ because he is able to do that. All he has to do is say, what are you looking for? And then to say, well, come and see. He found Simon and he said unto him, we have found the Messiah, which is John says now what's being interpreted there is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus And when Jesus beheld him, that's a different word. He really, he observes him. He looks at him. He'd been waiting to see Peter. He beheld him. He said, thou art Simon, son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation, again, John tells us, a stone. The the thou there, twice that word is imperative. Jesus beheld him and said, you, thou, you, you for yourself. You are Simon, the son of Jonah, and you, imagine, you shall be called Cephas, which by interpretation is a stone. You're Simon, a Jewish name, but we're going to call you Cephas. Cephas is Aramaic for Petros in the Greek, Peter, where we get Peter. He changed his name. He calls him a rock or a stone. 
just imagine what Jesus knew of him more than he knew of himself. Peter was going to have to hear the, the Lord say, get thee behind me, Satan, the rock. Peter was, the rock was going to have to say, everybody else might forsake you, but you can count on me. The rock was going to have to hear the rooster crow and know he had betrayed the Lord three times. The rock was going to have to have a private meeting with Jesus after the resurrection. The rock was going to see a sheet let down from heaven three times and say, not so, Lord, each time. The rock was going to have to be rebuked before the church in Antioch by Paul the Apostle because he started to go back under the law again when certain brethren came from James. This is the rock. But he who has begun a good work in you is going to complete that work. He's going to do it. And he looked into Peter. He looked with depth at Peter. He said, I'm changing your name. Levi becomes Matthew. James and John become Bo and Jerry's. Peter the Rock. And the Lord is patient and he is kind. And it took years for that to completely manifest. But Peter, in the end of his life, is in the Mamertine dungeon in Rome, in complete dark, chained to a pole, never laid down for nine months, knee-deep knee in human waste, they said, most of the time. And during those nine months, church tradition tells us he led 41 Roman guards to the Lord, the rock, the rock. Others sometimes die because of the fumes and everything. When they took him out to crucify him, they took out his wife in front of him to crucify, make, them, make him watch her first be crucified. And church historians say that he cried to her, Remember thou the Lord, O woman. It's good counsel from a husband, you know, just uh, how, how tender and sensitive husbands are. Remember thou the Lord, O woman. And his wife was crucified in front of him. And then he said to his captors, I'm not worthy to be crucified like my king. So they turned him upside down. They crucified him upside down. His brother Andrew had been crucified on an X type cross. In fact, when you see the X, it's called St. Andrew's cross. These men, these men, James and John, John's the last one alive now. James would be beheaded. It was just remarkable. He's the last one, and he's writing from memory this remarkable record. This first day, Jesus is gathering Men, normal men, common men, human men, like he gathers today. Normal men, normal women, humans, imperfect, struggling, tendencies that need to be changed, vacillating that need to be made rock-like. He's patient. He waits decades. He sees it. He knows it. He knew Nathaniel when he was saw him when he was still sitting on the fig tree. He sees you and I finished, so he can tell us we're justified, sanctified, we're glorified. He's the God that calls things that are not. He sees the end from the beginning. He has the utmost confidence in us because of who he is, not because of who we is. Right? And he's still the same today. Look. 
Obviously, I don't know everybody who's here. And the way my brain is going, I know less and less of who's here. But if you're here and you don't know Christ, don't listen to me. Get alone somewhere today and hear if you hear an inner voice that says to you, what are you looking for anyway? What is it that you want? What are you giving your life to? Do you think that's going to satisfy by any means? What are you looking for? And if you're honest with Jesus, if you're God, I want to know you. If this is true, I want to know. He'll say, come and see. He invites and he promises. Hasn't changed. If you're here and Jesus is your Savior, you're struggling. You're backslidden. You're wrestling with things that you shouldn't be wrestling with. You listen. He cares for you. He knows way down the road you're going to be a rock. You're messing up now. But he'll ask you today. Like he does me. What are you looking for? What seek ye? What is it? What's the deepest longing? What are you? It's some other thing. It should be me. You're my son. You're my daughter. You know that's not going to satisfy. You see the world's falling apart. What do you want? What's deep down in your heart? What are you looking for? Then we do, you do what I do. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord, oh, Lord, oh, Lord, oh, Lord. And he says, come and see. Hasn't changed. Put this to the page because we would live through these images as well. Heaven and earth is going to pass away. This Jesus is never going to pass away because he's Jesus of the word. And he doesn't change. And he gathers us. We're here. Why else in the world would we all be sitting here with the Kadinas and listening to the scripture unless he had done the same thing? He's gathered us. Your brothers, your sisters, your family. He puts the solitary in flocks. And look, isn't it interesting when he says to Peter... Thou art Simon, son of Jonah. You know, when we take the trips to Israel, in Capernaum they found a stone that says, Jonah, son of Simon. 2,000 years old. Because what would happen is if you were Jonah, son of Simon, you would name your son Simon, son of Jonah. Then the next generation would be Jonah, son of Simon again. They found the stone in the area from where he is with the names on it. This is all as real as can be. It's history, just like Abe Lincoln or George Washington or George Washington Carver or anybody else. This is history. And what is it like to run into Jesus face to face? Jesus says, thou art Simon. You know, the amazing thing about that verse is what Peter says. Nothing. He's not known for silence anywhere in the Bible. And Peter comes face to face with him. He says, Thou art Simon, son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, a rock. Peter's stunned. Those words went 
deep into his being. As, as Christ speaks to us today through his word, through his spirit, same, same thing. And it's so wonderful to be silenced by his presence. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these things. And we can tend to, I can, Lord, just kind of glance over things and not sit quietly and let your Holy Spirit minister, Lord. Your word has such depth and such power and such beauty. Lord Jesus, we rejoice to see you, Lord, gathering, Lord, waiting from time and eternity to come and to gather these men, these human beings, to gather them to yourself, to walk with them, to teach them, to save them. Lord, we're so thankful you're the same yesterday, today. And forever. We put these things before you, Lord. Broaden us, deepen us, Lord. Stir our hearts with greater commitment to you, Lord Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen.